1: It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust
0: Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a Tuesday as we take a bite of the Big Apple and go to New York Newsday, where Greg Logan is there. He follows the Brooklyn Nets. And as I just said to Greg before we came on, this team is fun to watch. I mean, uh, you knew watching the game last night when it went into overtime, it was going to be no contest, and it wasn't.
1: Well, it was – the the thing you also knew was that – uh, the Nets can surrender a lead as easily as, as they get one you know and uh, they really played the majority of regulation uh, with the lead it got a little tight in the third quarter which ended tied and then they jumped out uh, with the first eight points of the fourth quarter and and built a, a ten point uh, lead uh, uh, near the end of the fourth quarter but then they just squandered it all down the stretch and uh Missed uh, two layups uh, by Harden and Irving of all people uh, in the final seconds, and uh, San Antonio got the ball and uh, and uh, they uh, they almost uh, lost it uh, before uh, Dejounte Murray uh, regained control. And what happened was he was inside the three point line, right, and because he was scrambling for the ball all the Nets defenders went to the Spurs shooters beyond the three-point line because that was the shot that could beat them. So Murray got control and he, and he stood up about 21 feet out and knocked it down and sent it to overtime. So the Spurs scored the last 10 straight points, but to the Nets' credit, they gathered themselves and sort of did a reboot uh, in the break before overtime. And... And then they jumped uh, back on top there and scored the first eight points of overtime. They they gave up the next five, so they were still only up three, one possession. Uh, but then they they closed it out with the uh, the final uh, five points of uh, of overtime to pull away and and take the win more comfortably. But but that's the thing, and and they actually had a, a really good defensive game against the Spurs. I mean, they held them to 21 points in the first quarter and, and you know, keeping it uh, to, like I think it was a 108-point game uh, in regulation, you know, that's a good job by them. And uh, they just had that one lapse, you know, at the end of, of the fourth quarter, and then they pulled it back together and they got the stops they needed in overtime. So it was a really good overall performance from, for them, and they had lost their previous game against Dallas, snap an eight game winning streak and right. they were really sloppy against Dallas they gave up they had 23 turnovers that led to 32 Mavericks points but they totally cleaned that up against the Spurs they had only five total turnovers and James Harden had a 30-point triple-double that
0: included 15 assists 14 rebounds and zero turnovers yeah that that, that that was his emphasis was not turning the ball over and just being precise with his passes and so it's really a wonderful all-around performance. Yeah, that last stat you gave about Harden, no turnovers, considering how frequently he holds the ball and, and handles the ball and initiates the offense, that's an amazing statistic. Um, but, you know, it was a – I mean, the Nets had lost 17 straight in San Antonio. It reminded – you know what it reminded me of? When I was doing the New Jersey Nets, they had lost 15 straight in Dallas – and they go down to Dallas and they beat the Mavericks. And I had Drazen Petrovic on the post-game show. And I, I said, were you aware of the fact that the Nets had lost 15 straight in Dallas? And his his, his English was broken at that time. He said, yes. Did not want to be on ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well uh, you know, Tyree Irving uh, spoke about it last night. Hart was wasn't really aware, but uh, Kyrie Irving was, cause he's been a lifelong Nets fan. And so they brought it up to him after the game. And he said, you know, well, I know it's been like 19 years since we won down there. And uh, so, so it's just another uh, uh, historical event because you know, this team, their, their eight game winning streak was their longest since like 2006 or something like that. And so, so they're kind of putting a few records in the books. I mean, Harden he's played something like 21 games and seven of them have been triple doubles and you know, so it's just it's just kind of off the charts some of the stuff they're doing and and this is all happening with Kevin Durant uh still sitting out through the All-Star break. And so so Irving, you know, he just talked about there's going to be more historical things for this, ahead for this franchise, and he's just enjoying the ride because he's really uh, in a situation where he has the kind of team he wants around him, and he, and there's obviously a bond that's forming, and he's just uh, absolutely enjoying uh, the way it's turning
0: out. I'm sure, we're talking to Greg Logan of New York Newsday, Uh, I'm sure when the deal was done, there were those doubters, including me, I, I stand right up and saying I didn't think that three ball dominant players could coexist, but up to this point, uh, let's face it. I mean, Durant's missed 17 games, but the thing that's amazing is that they're 11 and six without him. That's got to send a scary prospect to the rest of the league. Well, that's that's what uh, that was uh, kind of brings
1: up the phrase that Harden coined when he first joined the team. He talked about he was asked how good they could be, and he said it could be scary hours for the NBA. And, uh, you know, and really that's kind of the way it's shaping up. And and I definitely was one of those people who uh, suggested at the time that it might be a bad idea to give up the level of depth that they would have to give up to get Harden uh, for the same reason that you said, that they were so ball-dominant. It just was hard for me to picture Kyrie and and Harden, uh, either one of them ever getting off the ball, because you know how, how... hard and pounded the ball when he was with the Rockets right. but he has totally done a 180 you know he came in and completely put his focus on playmaking and it just uh, you just he I know he had led the league in assists once previously but it just emphasized another part of his game that you kind of Overlooked, or at least I had. And uh, and now he's leading the league in assists again, again, more than 11 a game, and he's he's just an incredible passer and distributor, and he really has great court vision, you know, in terms of throwing these long passes down court. Uh, he and Bruce Brown have kind of hooked up on, on so many almost full-court Passes or three-quarter length passes, where Brown just sort of sneaks behind the defense and Harden spots him and just nails him. You know, like uh, Joe Montana throwing to Jerry Rice down right. the field or something. You know, and it's just
0: been great to watch. It's fun. Well, it is. Uh, and do do we still expect uh, Kevin Durant back after the All Star break? Well, I think so. I. I had a sense that this is probably the
1: way they were going to go, just because it's the nature of the Nets to be this cautious with injuries. But I do, I did get a little sense that maybe the hamstring uh, that he strained, the left hamstring, was a little more serious because uh, I, I guess it took a while to calm down. So when they got an MRI, it showed more, more blood uh, back there in the leg. And so there was a feeling that they really had to play it cautious and strengthen him. Now, I don't know if he'll be ready to go in the first game back against Boston on March 11th but I think it won't be long I think it'll be shortly it just depends on how much work they can get in on the court and Steve Nash said yesterday that because of the medical protocols they have to go through after the break that they're really only going to start with just one practice uh, prior to the Boston game and then after that they've got a, a dense schedule with uh, not many shoot-around opportunities before games, not many off-day practices scheduled. And so I, that could affect it too because he's he's going to have to get work, get regular work uh, in practice on the court and, and be ready to go. And I'm sure that this will be a thing where they have games
0: where they're resting him as well. There there aren't going to be any back-to-backs, that's for darn sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it come to, came to my mind watching the game last night This is proof positive that Greg Popovich, if not the best coach today, one of the greatest coaches of all time, uh, that team is okay. They're not a contender, but they've they've surprised a lot of people. They're fifth in the West.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody expected that with that roster. And, you know, they've had a lot of uh, injuries as well. And, And the thing that caught me off guard a little bit last night was that, Marcus Aldridge really didn't play uh, that big a role for them, and you know he came there as as kind of a a replacement star, and uh, and he didn't do much uh, last night at all. So I don't know if he has any physical issues or what's going on there, but uh, or if they're just sort of moving away from him. But uh, I mean, basically all they've got is uh, Demar Derozan right. and and a few uh, young guys around him like uh, Murray and Lonnie Wheeler and and so on, but uh, uh, yeah, they don't have that much to work with, I don't believe, and yet Pop has them right up there, and they're playing hard and smart and disciplined, and that's what Harden said last night, was that he knew going in that he really had to reel this turnover problem back in, simply because the Spurs were too disciplined, and they would make the Nets pay for their mistakes, And, and so that was kind of the amazing thing to me from the Nets' perspective, is that when they knew going in, that they really had to be disciplined and take care of the ball because of the team they were facing, they did it. And so uh, that was was absolutely the most impressive part of the win to me.
0: Greg Logan of New York Newsday, Uh, they meet Houston tomorrow night, Uh, 12 straight losses for the Rockets. Well, they're decimated. I mean, whatever material they had uh, is no longer there. Uh, But what kind of a, well, I don't know if there's going to be a crowd at all, but I can't imagine James Harden is going to be given a hero's welcome when he steps on the floor. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know about that.
1: You know, they're actually going to have quite a number of fans. You know, oh, okay. For, for these times, they're going to have 4,500 fans. Wow. there. You know, the Nets have only had 300 tops, uh, but they're going to have 4,500 fans there. And Harden said he's looking forward to it. I mean, he had eight great years there he led the league in scoring the last three years and and he was a hero down there and uh it, it was only the the ending that was sour and and so that could be that that might have put some people off and some people might uh you know be upset with the way things ended and the fact that he forced his way out because he didn't think they had anything and he wanted to be with the big stars with brooklyn and uh uh, so that could have an impact, but at the same time, he put down roots there. His family still lives down there, and he has been very connected uh, to the community down there, especially uh, lately when they, uh, when Houston suffered so much with the power loss and, and the water shortage and so on during these uh, snow and ice storms that they had. Uh, where, where people went without for a long time. And Hardin had a restaurant down there and they served uh, one day 3,000 free meals to different people. He's been involved with water distribution product, projects. Mm. He's trying to get involved with situations where they help people rebuild their homes after pipes have burst and things like that. So he's very committed to that community. And he said he's looking forward to it. He said, last night he said, you know that he's he got mad love from the fans down there and once he has lived to play in a place he always considers it home and he wants to be involved down there in the future in in charitable efforts so i think when all all things are considered i i think he'll get a pretty decent reception despite the way he left which yeah. was
0: very uncomfortable no doubt about it yeah well the, it's been a rough patch for Houston sports teams the astros lose springer <laughs> Uh, and yesterday, J.J. Watt leaves the Texans. They got problems yeah. with Deshaun Watson. Nobody knows Sean where he's going to play. Gonna go <laughs> I mean, it's been a it's it, tough. Yeah, it's been yeah. a rough, been a rough stretch for Houston sports. Uh, and I'm reminded from the other side of that, like a little bit more than 50 years ago, the Jets, the Mets, and uh, and the and the and the Jets, the Mets, and the Knicks all won championships in the same year. I mean yes. that, that's unheard of,
1: right? 1969. I know uh, it was actually the end of the '68 season, but the Super Bowl was in '69 for for the Jets, and then and then the others went on to win. And that was a, an amazing time in American sports. But you know, in the New York market, eventually it all caught up with them, and and all those teams paid for it too. So uh, uh, you know, except for maybe the Yankees, they've they've had some sustained greatness, but. Uh, but the rest of them, you know, they've all gone through their down spots, and I guess uh, this is just that kind of time that Houston is facing. I, I hate to see uh, the Texans break up, uh, but, you know, frankly, this year Deshaun Watson played as well as most any quarterback in the league, but they, there just wasn't enough around him. So uh, that's that's on the Texans' management. Yeah, well, I, I talked to
0: John McClain, the outstanding reporter in oh, Houston. Oh, yeah, no John. And he covers uh, the Texans uh, like a glove. And he, uh, he swears that, in this is his point of view, he swears that the Texans can dig in their heels all they want. When push comes to shove, he thinks that the, the Texans will give in. And as long as the trade is, uh, you know, and we know what the Jets have already offered. They've offered the mountain, the stars, the moon, and the Empire State Building to bring Deshaun Watson. Uh, because he he could make that kind of a difference, but McLean swears that uh, they will eventually give in and and take the best deal that's offered to them. It's in their best interest.
1: It really is, you know. Just uh, do do the clean slate thing and start over. They're going to have a new coach down there, and uh, and they're going to have to rebuild on both sides of the ball down there. And so it would just be a, a better thing for whoever the coach is to. Uh, to take over a situation where uh, he's got people he knows want to be there and are committed to him, uh, so so I think that would be the best deal, and, and definitely there's a lot of excitement around the Jets, you know, as far as their prospects uh, to acquire him because of what they the package they can
0: put together. Yeah, no question about it. He's Greg Logan of New York Newsday. Getting back to the NBA, uh, the Seventy Sixers uh, play Utah, I think tomorrow, um, and if they lose they would be in a tie with Brooklyn for the top spot in the East.
1: Exactly. You know, uh, that that was the thing. The night that uh, the Nets lost to the Mavericks, Cleveland had lost amazingly, to, or, or the 76ers had lost to Cleveland earlier right. in the evening, and, and that was the Nets' chance to actually reach first place. Uh, but but now, you know, uh, that's, that's a very tough game for the 76ers, and it could be that the Nets are in first place by the break uh, with Durant having missed all those games, which would be just a remarkable thing. I mean, they've won nine of their past 10 now, and you would think that given the shape that, that the Rockets are in and the motivation that Harden will have, that it's going to be uh, uh, 10 out of 11 here pretty soon, uh, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, so that would be an amazing thing if Durant could return to a first-place team And and be healthy uh, for the second half of the NBA season. Uh, You know, it's uh, keeping him healthy is the key. And and as long as this team can eventually get those three together, that would be fantastic. They've actually, to this point, since the trade, I think it was back on about June 14th, I want to say, but since then, uh, or January 14th, uh, since then, um, they've only had seven games together. And one of them, Durant didn't get to finish because of COVID protocols. Uh, he had, he, had, he didn't get to start and he didn't get to finish. And uh, uh, so it's really been just six full games together. And and so that's that's the key to the second half in any playoff run. It, and sustained success is just uh, the health of, of that big three. But in the meantime, it's allowed them to help develop uh, the supporting cast uh, tremendously because they've had so much playing time and now uh, it's, it's like they've kind of reclaimed some of the depth they lost by guys really stepping up to the plate who, who were playing insignificant roles previously when uh, Karis LeVert and Torian Prince and uh, Rodion's Keurigs uh, still were here and, and so now you've got guys like not only Brown but Jeff Green and Tyler Johnson, uh, Landry Shamet, they're all stepping up and and playing very well. And then uh, Joe Harris has has been the best shooter in the NBA all season, so you kind of forget about him. He's almost like a fourth star because he's so reliable.
0: Well, last night Nicholas Claxton had 17 points in Claxton seven in 17 again. minutes. He missed, he missed half the season with knee
1: tendonitis. And he's he's only played. I think last night might have been the 19th full game he's played since being drafted last year as a rookie, when he also had injury problems. But uh, he has been a little bit of a revelation, you know. Steve Nash, I guess he feels like Claxton isn't necessarily on point with you know following the game plan all the time, but he has special skills and mobility and range uh, to cover. and athleticism to cover smaller players as well as big players plus around the rim he's he really showed a fabulous touch last night and so that's another guy who could be very valuable for him simply because they need size and that was a problem in the uh, Dallas game because Dallas was just a much bigger team than the Nets were and Claxton can kind of build some of that because he's 6'11 plus he's he's an athletic 6'11 so so what he showed last night, that was another flash for sure.
0: Yeah, can he be that rim protector that Jared Allen was? Uh, he
1: had three blocks last night. Yeah. So, uh, and some of that stuff was because of the athleticism. He, on one play, he came from behind uh, to get, uh, I think it was DeJounte Murray, or maybe it was Patty Mills. Uh, but he oh, I take it back. It was DeMar Derozan. He came from behind to get him, and he got him, you know, and then rolled his ankle on the landing when he – when. Erosion rolled onto his ankles so who knows what his health is going to be or how fragile he might be but if he can stay healthy that's another guy who absolutely can can provide some rim protection and and just toughen the defense because he's he's that athletic uh
0: greg let me ask you about the 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 nets are number one in the league in scoring at almost 121 a game Uh, but they're giving up 116 a game which is 27th in the league and that's been the achilles heel for the nets all year their defense has been questionable and then when they lose jared allen in the trade there was the rim protector so defensively is where they got to hunker down now look people questioned steve nash when he got hired i didn't uh because kevin Durant signed off on it and if your best player is signing off on it then there's no question uh and then everybody else will buy in in, in time but uh i, I know it's premature we're halfway through the season, just about. What kind of a grade would you give Steve Nash as a coach? You know, I, I have to give him,
1: uh, I guess, an A- minus simply because uh, when you look at some of the defensive numbers, you say, okay, that that has been a weakness, and it is, is taking time to uh, shore up. Uh, but he has, has really connected with all of these players. He has their uh, unquestioned respect, and you can see – just the chemistry that he has been building with this team. You know, people question some of his substitution patterns and things like that early on, and I think he's grown a lot more comfortable and a lot more certain with the combinations that he wants to put out there. But, you know, he's been dealing with unprecedented problems in this uh, time of COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Very little practice time, a very tight schedule window. I mean, they played 37 games in something like, 72 days or 69 days or something like that in the first half. So there's been very little practice, and then they've had the injuries that especially have uh, sidelined uh, Durant. Uh, Kyrie was out for a while. And so all all the issues that he's had to deal with, deal with I think uh, this last streak, winning 9 out of 10, shows how successful he's been in navigating that. And then after they had a terrible offensive game in detroit that was just embarrassing he got after people and and there were angry words exchanged he admitted he and deandre jordan had some words uh but as deandre said it was all for the good you know they were all trying to win and get on the same page and so what you've seen in this uh nine out of ten streak is much much better defense in in that period and, and their communication has grown better. They have a different defensive system. It involves a lot of switching, so that takes a tremendous amount of edu- or communication. And so uh, so that has improved uh, dramatically. He's mixed in a little zone now and then, uh, you know, to kind of cover up for their rim protection weakness and, and for their lack of size, you know, on the nights when they've had to go small. And so uh, I just... the ingredients coming together in a recognizable way that that is going to lead to success and he keeps saying it's not wins and losses it's are you getting better so that's a way of kind of relieving the pressure of the expectations on them but you know they really are beginning to live up to expectations even though their lineups have been you know just uh, uh musical chairs and so uh uh, I just, I just think he's doing a really good job, and, and without question, as, as you said, Durant signed off on it, Kyrie signed off on it, and so I think they have the full commitment of those guys. And then you see how how things worked out between Harden and Irving in the backcourt, mm. and how how Harden has become the facilitator, and Irving's playing more off the ball. And I think that's because Steve basically put them in those positions and then let them figure it out. And they did, you know, to Kyrie's credit. He he went to Harden and said, okay, you're the point guard. So I I think a lot of that is just by the subtle things that Nash was doing, you know, in terms of where he was placing people. And then Kyrie could see it work, and they all respect him because he is a Hall of Fame point guard. So I think he's doing a great job.
0: Uh, When you – when you come into new york everybody knows it's a nick town it's always been a nick town and it reminds me of my days in new jersey when the knicks came over to play and and marv albert was chiding me he says if the nets ever win a championship where are they going to hold a parade on exit on on exit 16w i said marv i said marv one day the bubble of pomposity will break Well, it has. It has for the Knicks until this year, where now they're on the rebound. And and Thibodeau deserves a ton of credit for what he's he's done with this basketball team. I mean, they're fourth in the East. Having said that, uh, realistically, I look at Philadelphia. I look at Milwaukee. I look at Brooklyn. uh, I look at Boston, you know, eventually making a mark. Miami's starting to play better. They've won six in a row. I I don't see the Knicks staying in the fourth spot. But I do see them making the playoffs.
1: You know, I agree. but And that simply just shows the uh, Thibodeau commitment to uh, defense and how smart he is, how he's getting people in the right places. And uh, I think they're going to make the playoffs at this point, too, just based on Thibodeau's track record. And he's getting a really good play out of Julius Randle and then uh, the rookie, Emmanuel uh, Quickly. Uh, Manuel Quickly. He, yeah. He's really... Working into uh, things and showing his promise, uh, R.J. Barrett is a solid young player. So uh, I just think that that they've got enough, absolutely, to become a playoff team. Primarily, just because of uh, the leadership of uh, Tom Thibodeau, and uh, uh, but as you're saying, you know, uh, there's other players, uh, other franchises that are ahead of them in terms of development. I mean, this is still a development stage for the Knicks. And and so you know they're kind of going to remind me of uh, the Nets a couple of years ago under Kenny Atkinson. They they surprised everybody by going uh, by following a 28 win season with a 42 and 40 season, and uh, and they got seventh seed, uh, but then they went out in the playoffs four uh, one to Philadelphia. Uh, so I think that's kind of comparable uh, to the stage that the Knicks are at right now.
0: How um, important is it? Uh, for this team to get the top spot in the East in terms of who they won 't have to see you know in the first second round, and so on uh and I only ask you because when it comes to like the Lakers i don't think it's terribly important for the Lakers to be the number one seed in the West because you got to tell me who's going to beat the Lakers four times in a series
1: well, exactly, I mean you don't know what Anthony Davis situation is going to be like. But uh, let's say he is healthy by the end of the season or, or by the start of the playoffs. You know, that's, that's a, a tough win for anybody to think that they're going to go in there and beat the Lakers. But I do feel that it's uh, important for the Nick uh, for the Nets uh, to be number one simply because uh, the two teams that they really have to look at in the East are obviously the 76ers and the Bucks. Right. And I, in, the, in the ideal world, you would want them to be two and three and have to face each other in the semifinals so that they would take one of themselves out of there without the Nets ever having to face them. And so the, the, the Nets would be a, a heavy favorite over whoever was the number four seed. You know, especially, you know, if it's Miami, that'd be a tough one because you never know what Jimmy Butler and, and all that. And, and they're a good team and a really good coach. Uh, but it, it would just be easier than having to go through uh, both the uh, 76ers and the Bucks, you know. And, and you want that, the winner of that series, that semifinal series, to be kind of worn down, you know, when the Nets get them in the Eastern Finals. Uh, so so I, I think that's an absolute uh, uh, goal of theirs, is to get that number
0: one seed for sure. Before I let you go, Mike D'Antoni, I have a lot of respect for Mike. I think he's a very creative coach uh and he's a good uh guy for nash to be sitting next to particularly at the offensive end uh, having said that uh i i look at the nets as a team and i said it at the top of this you know when the, the, the second second banana in new york do the players even make any reference to the knicks no they
1: don't they don't make a uh a the knicks any sort of focus they don't sense the rivalry that's more for the fans i'm on twitter all the time so we see uh we see knicks fans constantly throwing shade on the nets about you'll you'll never take over the city and stuff like that uh you only see it uh you know of course we ask those questions of the nets when they're going to play the knicks and they say yeah there is a rivalry it is important to win those games but it's not something that they're focused on in the bigger picture because they're not worried about, uh, okay, are we winning over New York? Uh, I mean, they kind of sense uh, a shift toward them, not necessarily in the New York market as much as the national market because now all of a sudden they are a team that is all over the map on the national TV broadcast schedule. They have, in the second half coming up, I, I want to say they have twenty national telecasts now some of those are on nba tv but a lot of them are on tnt and and abc and espn uh so so suddenly they sense that they are a a national team and what they talk about is not the knicks they talk about getting every team's best shot and just going into games with the mindset that they're going to get the best from everyone because everyone looks at those three stars and said oh we got to a big challenge here that we've got to take on tonight. We've got to prove ourselves. So, so that's why I say the Knicks are really sort of in the back of their mind until the two teams play each other. Uh, they're more looking big picture right now for
0: sure. Yeah, I appreciate it, Greg. As always, you stay safe. Thanks for your time.
1: Okay, and thank you, Howard. I appreciate you.